Jerry Blevins joins us for this episode of the Shane Eating Podcast. Lots to discuss between what we've heard from Pete Alonzo and the positivity and some of the negativity we heard from Zach Scott, let alone what we've been seeing on the field. We'll get into all of it. It starts right now. Welcome to the show, everybody. It's Doug Williams and Jerry Blevins with you. A reminder to subscribe to the Shane Anything Podcast at Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate it. Shane Anything is brought to you by Verizon. It's 5G built right for the Mets from the network. More people rely on only on Verizon. Um, before we go any further, Jerry, I just hand up. I, I, I haven't watched Edge of Tomorrow yet. I'm looking forward to your next recommendation as discussed. The reason we're recording this podcast at the time that we are is because I'm traveling this weekend. I have some time to watch some films, so don't worry. I will make this right. Mm. I feel guilty enough already. I'm beating myself up. Um, you know, it, it won't happen well, again. I mean, I am I am offended and I'm hurt. That's something. I understand. You know, I, I get it. I, it's not like you didn't have two weeks to, to, to watch a movie. And it's a Tom sure. Cruise movie. It's a great movie. But no, I'm, I, I, I just understand right. where I fit on your on your level of, you know, friendship. I'll just back it down. So, you know, you, you learn you learn about who you are and where you fit into somebody's life. And we're learning about each other right now. Look, you could poke even more holes in my story. You could say, Doug, weren't you weren't you on vacation for like two weeks? And I'd say yes. And, and weren't you flying a lot? Y- yes. Um, the problem is I got deep into a binge of The Last Kingdom on Netflix and that took a lot of my time and energy and I downloaded edge of tomorrow, but it's just sitting there. So that's, that's no, that's, I mean, I won't, I won't give you bury you. I just, I'll, I, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, I'm not, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Disappointed. I get you know, it. I've heard again, that it's, you find out, you find out the truth about where you fit with somebody. You may think that you guys are on the same level and that you care about them. And then you may think, that hey, we're just colleagues. We don't. We're just. We're just work friends. So that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I, I see. understand. I understand that, that stings. Um, <laughs> don't worry. I'll get. I'll. I'll, uh, I'll give you more guilt trips off the off camera. Well, let's Good. let's talk Mets. I have that to look forward to. Okay, so <laughs> we're gonna do some up downs, and uh, this is the segment where you know we kind of pin two things against each other that are kind of opposites, and in this case, it's what you're hearing from Pete Alonso and what you're hearing from Zach Scott. Um, and full disclosure, we are recording this podcast before the doubleheader on Wednesday. So there's going to be some baseball in between when you're hearing this and what we've seen. But those are really the two big stories, Jerry. Um, Pete Alonzo, look, I, I think Mets fans in the past week or so are so frustrated and for good reason. The team is not playing well. And Pete comes out and says, smile. Uh, enjoy yourselves. You're watching baseball. Life is good. Um, we are hitting the ball hard at people. It happens. We will turn this around. And he was at his own charity event yesterday and said more of the same. He, you know, said the, you got to believe catchphrase. He was like, this is an unbelievable group. I believe in us. Um, Jerry, in the mind of an athlete, when you are speaking directly to the fans, as Pete clearly is trying to, do you have to have some sort of awareness about the way they feel and the way like reading the room the way your comments are going to feel on the other side you yes yes you do pete first of all pete does such a good job of making himself available 
putting himself out there, saying things on behalf of the team, on behalf of himself, you're going to say something that's like controversial every once in a while. And for me, his, his notion of you got to believe and stay positive, stay with us. Those are the things you want to hear because you know, that's, that's what you want as a fan where he went wrong and where I'm sure, you know, he understands that some people can interpret that. No, nobody wants to be told to smile. They understand that they're watching baseball. They love it. You don't tell somebody, like, even if somebody's you're walking by sitting somebody on the train and you're like, Hey, smile. Nobody's going to smile. They're going <laughs> to, that's not, that's never gone across. Well, like, what are you upset about? Just smile. You should be happy. That's never come across. Well, I think Pete's well-intentioned, but that's just, that was a poor selection of, of words. Um, but I think his sentiment is true and his, his thought process is true. Uh, you do have to believe if you want, he believes he's trying to express that to you guys. Um, but telling somebody to smile, you're watching baseball is a little bit um, flippant of their feelings and their approach. And that'll rub people the wrong way. And like I said, you're going to say, be outspoken like Pete is. Sometimes you're going to say something that that doesn't right. come across exactly how you wanted. And, you know, once the games are played, people will probably forget and it'll be not a news story, but we had an off day and a rain delay. So here we are. I think that that point is totally legitimate. First of all, that he says a lot on behalf of his teammates and on himself, and he takes every opportunity to be out there and, and put himself out there. And I respect the hell out of that. I think that um, you're going to slip up every once in a while, but again, to your point, we're talking about, he says he understands we have the most passionate fan base in baseball. So if you do, then you know that a sweep in Philly when a lot of Mets fans made the drive and were heckled probably by Philly fans for three days, that's as, as down as a fan base gets that is as passionate as Mets fans are. So to your point, it's walking in the subway. Hey man, smile. No, um, nobody feels like it because you're not hitting, you're not scoring runs. And the team that these fans really care about isn't showing up and has lost first place and looks like suddenly they're not a playoff team. So it's the, it's the worst time to say something like that. Uh, I, I agree. And I, I think Pete would agree with you as well. I think it was just uh just poor wordage, poor selection. I think we didn't, we didn't cover it, but in that same press conference, James, James McCann said something that I think resonated a little bit more and is a little bit more true of, of what he said or what the team feels and he says, yeah, we can say stay positive over and over again, but there's now a sense of urgency and we have to start doing and that's where we are. And I think that is really what Pete means. We're, we're all thinking positively and we all believe in ourselves, but now it's time to actually prove it. And so here we are, put up or shut up kind of moments. And this is, this is the stretch where we're going to see what they're made of. Right. And I think... Um you know, that's such a big part of it is James McCann says, we don't need to be on Twitter. We don't need to be reading articles or the newspaper. We understand where we are. And the, the, the reaction, at least on Twitter for Mets fans. And again, I think 20% of the world is active on Twitter. So I, I usually try not to read too much into just Twitter, but I think Mets fans are starting to be like, look, you got lots of t-shirts and catchphrases and the horse in the dugout and all this stuff. But this group that we have high expectations for every year 
has not yet accomplished anything. And we talked about this earlier this week on the podcast, but um, that is the frustration. It's like, look, we've seen and heard the positivity. Let's get some results. Okay, so Pete Alonzo was up. Zach Scott was down. Um, and lots to unpack from what Zach Scott had to say. And he speaks so softly, calmly, um, slowly, that oftentimes when you're watching him, you're like, there's no way a headline's going to come out of this. And we were uh, listening to him talk right before a Baseball Night in New York episode. And look, he said, these are just facts. You know, he said, we've been mediocre for most of the year. And lately we would have taken mediocre. We've been that unacceptably bad. I'm paraphrasing, but that's really the gist of what he said. But what I want to unpack with you, Jerry, is the compliance issues that he mentioned. Um, Because I think he was asked a lot of questions about the soft tissue injuries and separately how the team's offensive approach has changed since the, the firing of Chili Davis, et cetera. And it seemed to kind of culminate in Zach Scott's answer about that with like, it's easy to blame our staff and our personnel, but players it's up to them in terms of rehabbing from an injury. They have to do the right things in between when they get put on the shelf and when they're supposed to come back. What was your read on what he said and how it will be viewed in that clubhouse? So the odds of it actually making an impact in that clubhouse are, are pretty slim. They, we've got guys, veteran guys from McCann and DeGrom, all these guys. will just, you learn to ignore outside factors. And the front office, are they are an outside factor. They can put pressure on you and, and change your team. But ultimately, it's the coaching staff and the players that are responsible. And so they can ignore that. Um, there is a lot to unpack and, and some of it is the compliance thing really struck me and you kind of want to dive a little bit deeper in there. And you ask him like, Hey, are you talking about specific players that aren't following a protocol and trying to get themselves better? Because that is an issue that a fan base and at the team and his teammates would hold him accountable for. If you're not doing what the training room needs you to do to be better, then you need to be called out. And his teammates would do that. I'm not sure he was specifically saying the training room. Maybe he was talking about the hitting philosophy, compliance, and and deploying what the, the hitting philosophies are talking about, taking or being aggressive in certain aspects. Because you can tell if somebody, hey, we want you to do this, but if they don't do it, then that's compliance, I guess. So there's there's a lot that you could read into it from a player's perspective. They're not going to read into it at all unless directed specifically saying that this guy's not doing his job. And then that's when it becomes an issue. But again, this will be something unless somebody gets thrown under the bus and says, you're not doing this, then it'll just be, you know, empty fodder. Yeah. And I think that's um, my thought. I think those are good thoughts. And I think the only thing that came to mind specifically was Jeff McNeil, I think earlier in the year, uh, when he was dealing with an injury said, you know, I haven't been hydrating enough. And I, I believe he, he, you know, talked about, um, you know, what he was or wasn't doing himself. Um, and look, I, I think that specifically Zach Scott did mention food and hydration said, I'm, I can't uh, inject a guy with water to keep him hydrated. So, um, I think it was a little bit of frustration veiled in the way that Zach Scott normally says things, if that makes sense. It was like, uh, calmly delivered, uh, here's why we're struggling and here's where the blame lies. And, um, look, I, I think, uh, that's certainly 
interesting in and of itself that that he is clearly somebody just talking about Pete. I mean, Zach Scott is, is clearly somebody who's going to be honest in terms of what he's uh, frustrated by in the, in the team's performance. Um, the other thing I want to get your take on with, with Scott, Jerry, is he was asked a lot of questions, as I said earlier, about the team's approach. And I, I'm kind of sick of talking about it. I'm sure you are too, or, you know, watching this Mets team hit every night, it seems like we're, we're trying really hard to over, uh, diagnose the issues and everything just seems really complicated right now. Maybe that's the problem, but what do you think, you know, when somebody like Scott says, you know, you know, this is an approach problem. Uh, he's talking about the mental side of hitting. Do they just need a night where they run into a, a pitcher who's struggling and they, they get a laugher and then suddenly they're fixed or is this deeper than that? You know, I, it's, <laughs> there's so many different ways that you could go about like that. I think for me personally, you just got to get out of the way. And at this point in the season, you know, changing philosophy, trying to, to work on your mechanics is, is something that goes on in an individual basis, but it's time for these guys to start performing as a player. You know, I've had seasons where I've been terrible and the Mets fans will remember 2018 was brutal. There was a lot of factors that went into that for a lot of us. Um, but the bottom line is you have to perform. You have to overcome whatever it is that's in your face mentally, physically. You got to perform on the field. And we're at that point in the season where the guys are either going to start to win and they're going to make the playoffs, or this is going to be one of those lost seasons where, you know, Mets fans are going to be upset. The players are going to be upset and you have to reevaluate moving forward. I still and with Pete, I believe in this team. I believe in the, the talent of the players on the team. I think Louis Rojas is a, a really good manager, and I think he's pushing this team in the right direction. But again, I can only feel or say how I feel until it shows on the field. And so this is that point. No more talking. No more, you know, saying we're going to get out of it. We need a, an approach. Now it's time to perform. And I think that's what McCann said in its sense of urgency. Yeah, we can always look forward. Baseball is a 162 game season. Now though, it's crunch time. We're in that. We're about to go through a rough stretch on a long road trip and it's time to perform. And I think guys feel that and it's time for those guys to step up and, and start to play. All right. Once again, this Change Anything podcast is brought to you by Verizon's uh, 5G built right for the Mets from the network. More people rely on only on Verizon. Uh, let's do uh, three battle rule, Jerry. Uh, and first, we'll start with just the feeling in a clubhouse in free fall. Um, and again, we get so caught up in such a long season with how it feels in the moment. And I, you know, it's 162 and sometimes at game hundred, uh, you think something's happening game 50, you think the opposite is happening. It just every year I'm shocked by how long the season is, but when you do feel like you're in free fall, when you do feel like showing up at the ballpark is a chore every day, what is that like? It's tough. It's tough because you feel so much pressure everywhere. You want to perform for, you know, for the fans, for your teammates, for your coaches. Bottom line is for your, your livelihood. Um, free fall is the worst, but when you hit that bottom, and I think that's, I think the series in Philadelphia, the Mets hit rock bottom. And that's when you can stand up and start to go. That's that sense of urgency. 
they lost the first game of that series. You know, the second game they should have won. It was the big one, the, the, the bullpen game where they just didn't perform. And then they ran into the buzzsaw that is Zach Wheeler at his best, which hurts Mets fans in a different way because mm-hmm. they miss him. You're going to run into those games, but that to me is rock bottom. And now is the point to where you either start to stand up and fight for yourself or you just, this is who you are and you're not as good as you thought. And this is put up or shut up time. Yeah. I mean, that's gotta be a really difficult thought process for, as we've talked about already, a very positive uh, clubhouse and a very confident clubhouse to kind of realize in the back of your head, like, I know we've been a first place team mostly because of circumstance all year, but that may not be who we are. Um, it's soul searching time for, for sure. Um, second of the three, Jerry, uh, you mentioned Louis Rojas earlier and how you think he's a very good manager. Um, you know, you're the only person we have on this podcast who's played under him and alongside him. Um, you know, let's say the Mets don't make the playoffs. Let's say it's an incredibly disappointing year, given the first year of new ownership, given the amount of moves they've made and the average Met fan at home is, is like, look, he's not the guy, the team didn't make the playoffs. What else are you going to do? Fire the manager. What would you say to that Met fan? Um, I would say you don't blame doesn't have to be put on anyone. You don't need to make change for change sake. If they don't think Louis Rojas is the guy, then you make a change. You don't fire him because the team underperformed unless you think he was a cause of that. I happen to think that he's not the reason why the Mets have underperformed. I don't know. I'm not there anymore. I, I, all I know is from my personal experience, I have faith in his knowledge of the game, the way he approaches talking to the team. Um, I think he's a good manager. Um, so I don't think he is to blame, but if, if you feel like you need to make a change, then so be it. Uh, I think it would be a mistake, but again, I am not in that clubhouse. I don't make those decisions. I think Louis Rojas is going to be a manager for a long time. Um, and I hope it's for the Mets because I really think that, that he fits the organization. Well, I think he would be a tremendous asset to have for the long term. but um, you know, if you feel like you've got to, to make a sacrifice to make a change, then, then you, you go about doing whatever it is that you feel you need to do. Um, I, I don't, I don't know the answer. I think Louis is a good, a good manager, but then again, I've seen good managers um, have poor teams. I've seen good players have bad seasons. They're, they're just a whole mix of it. I love Louis as a manager and a person. So he's always going to have my vote. I'm just not sure what fans want. What do you want from the role? They want us. Because, they want the. They want the team to win and the players. Yeah, that's I it. think it's on the players to perform, and that's it. I, I promise you, Louis Rojas isn't getting in the way of them performing at a high level. That's the only thing that I can say for sure. Yeah, and 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 look, I say that I'm I'm not any smarter or more tuned in than any fan out there listening right now. I don't have a relationship with Louis Rojas. I've never met him. I. I all I'm saying is, what do you want? Because if you just want to fire him because the team isn't playing well right now, okay, even you can admit, please, that that's irrational. Okay, if let's say you don't like that he rests Conforto or McNeil against lefties, whatever. Um, well, those decisions are collaborations now. You can't just get angry at a manager for that. Um, 
that is a front office philosophy that goes into the conversation going into a game. Um, if you really have that many issues with the way he's managed in game, I'd like to hear them. Otherwise, he's a good spokesman for your organization, which is the most important part of that job. And clearly, he's a good communicator with the players because he feels comfortable criticizing them to the media and to the public. I just don't understand what more you want. And I don't think that the role is just not set up for success right now with fan bases. I, I don't know. I've never been around a Mets or Yankees fan base that was happy with their manager because every loss, you see their face in the pregame and the postgame press conferences, and you're like, it's on this guy. Um, it's just, look, it's in my opinion, it's a tired conversation. Listen to people like Jerry, um, listen to people who cover him closely. And they will tell you that this is a smart, sophisticated baseball man. Who's probably an up and coming manager. Like other teams in baseball probably look at him and are like, that's the type of guy we want. So, so here I'll, I'll bring it kind of full circle here. You, the, the Mets fans and their fan base have every right to be angry with how the team has performed up to this level. I, you should be mad if somebody's like, smile, you get to watch baseball. I understand that sentiment. You, you can be mad. You can be angry. You don't need to, to make a change just for change's sake. And I don't think the Mets fans want that. They may want blood at the end of this season, and they may get it. But I promise you that the front office and uh, will make decisions based off of what they think is best for the organization moving forward. And I think Louis Rojas, like you said, is an up and coming manager. Um, so I, I think it would be in the Mets best interest to keep that man as their manager moving forward. That's my personal take. Yep. I agree. I mean, I, I always think about Kevin cash taking out Blake Snell in the playoffs. And I'm thinking that's one of the best managers in baseball made a really, really critical in game mistake and error. Uh, and he's still in the job and still viewed as one of the best, like oftentimes perception of these guys has nothing to do with their actual job. It's just about how the team is performing, which I think is unfair and, and kind of a, a an issue with that role and how we view it. Um, if the Mets, again, kind of the same storyline, Jerry, uh, let's say that the Mets don't make the playoffs, disappointing year, Steve Cohen's first year as the owner. What do you think needs to be done? What do you think will be done uh, in an offseason where hopefully they kind of restart and maybe move on from some of the core guys? So I think the first thing that they're going to have to address is the status of Michael Conforto and Javi Baez. Do you see them as parts of your future? What type of financial investment are you willing to make for these guys? Because Michael's a, a Mets guy. He's been around this his whole career. 15 started, came up, first round draft pick, all the above. He's a great player who's a tremendous asset for whoever organization he goes to. Javi Baez, you gave up you know, pieces to get him and Trevor Williams. Pete Crow Armstrong is potential to be a great player. You know, there was a lot of speculation about Jared Kelenek when they traded him away for Robbie Cano and Edwin Diaz. These are decisions you have to make. They traded Rosario and Jimenez to Cleveland for Lindor and they signed him and got him. Is Javi Baez somebody you signed because you gave up a piece like uh, Crow Armstrong? I don't know. These are, these are the biggest pieces that you have to understand. Um, and there's, 
baseball minds that are smarter than mine, they're going to make those decisions. I, I don't know what they are, but those two guys, I think, are the biggest pieces you have to address. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think Javi Baez, man, what a turbulent start. And, um, you know, that has negative connotation to it. There's been very good days and bad days. I think that's just Javi Baez, the player. I think once he gets back from this hip back issue, uh, hopefully for the stretch run, the Mets will learn whether they want this guy to be a long-term part of their future. Conforto, what a mystery. I mean, what a, a, a terrible season it's been for him at the plate. Uh, the injuries, he's got to be feeling pressure. Boris client knows how many hundreds of millions of dollars were, uh, on the line with his season. Um, you know, what's funny is sometimes you, you make a point, you get on a soapbox and then you forget to say something. I, I, I forgot to add a line about Louis Rojas that I want to add Jerry. Oh, please do the, the, one of the common criticisms of a manager when things are going bad is like, get fired up, get tossed from a game. He can't get tossed from any more games. I mean, he's been suspended. He's screaming <laughs> legitimately every night. He's screaming at somebody. And he's Dude, such it, like an even keel guy. So you, you fans can't even say that. He's fired up yeah. every night. I've been, a, I'm glad you brought that up because he is not that guy. He's a, he's a Zach Scott soft-spoken human being. You know, he's jacked and looks intimidating, but he's really even keeled. When he's firing you up, you feel it as a player. You're like, man, this guy's going out there. He's going to get fined. He's going to pay. You know, he's he's doing it for us, and it fires you up. I've been I've played for managers who just refuse to fight for their guys that don't get tossed, and it and it does. It is a detriment, you know, to your team when you're like, man, I, we really needed you to have our back there. Uh, Louis Rojas has your back as a player, as a fan base. He will fight for you. He's showing it. The results are terrible on the field right now. I don't think he's to blame. Um, and that's another point. I'm glad that you brought that up because he he does anything and everything that he feels is within his grasp to fire his team up, whether it's a closed door meeting where he's yelling at somebody, whether he's putting an arm around, you know, stroking guy's ego, trying to get him to perform, whatever it is, he's doing it. I promise you that. Yep. I agree with you 100%. Okay, Jerry, um, let's add a movie to Edge of Tomorrow for my homework before we <laughs> before we do our next episode. What is today's rain delay recommendation? So uh, I'm sure Jeffrey has probably seen these movies. He's the, he's the guy that that I feedback. So if you don't watch the movies and if Jeff hasn't seen it, uh, I'll I'll go to him. So you don't feel pressure to to perform for me, Doug. I, I won't, I won't blame Jeff if you don't watch it either. So, but, uh, so <laughs> today's rain delay recommendation is a 2011 movie called warrior warrior is a family drama about two brothers who had an alcoholic father who grow up and kind of deal with it in their own way. And then they end up meeting in the UFC cage. It's an MMA match. Um, Tom Hardy is a one of the brothers who's an ex-Marine who's dealing with some super PTSD. When he gets back from um, somewhere unspecified in the movie, he enlists his alcoholic father to train him for this MMA fight, this tournament called Sparta. That comes with all the drama. The other brother is Joel Edgerton, who has dealt with his, uh, his uh, alcoholic father in a different way. He's a family man. He's, he's written this man off of, out of his life for his kids, for his wife's sake, and for his own sake. 
and they both end up in this Sparta tournament and Nick Nolte is at his best here. Nick Nolte got nominated for an Oscar for this silly MMA movie uh, for best supporting actor. And I think he deserved it. It was 2012 Oscars where I think Christopher Plummer won. Um, and it was the year that Jonah Hill got nominated for Moneyball and his career took off in, in, a, in a different way. And he was phenomenal. But I really think Nick Nolte deserved the Oscar for this one. He wow. was so good having, having my own father issues growing up. I felt it and he really, truly lives it. It's an unbelievable, unbelievable performance by him. It's a great directed movie, written movie. Gavin O'Connor directed it. Who, um, have you watched mayor of Easttown at all? Yeah. So he's executive produced like seven, eight, nine episodes of that show, which was phenomenal. He's, he was a part of the Americans, uh um, that Pride and glory the movie the accountant with ben affleck i think he directed and wrote that just a, just a really good storyteller and this is a very underrated sports move like movie theme um wrapped in a in a sparta mma tournament style so warrior 2011 today's rain delay recommendation and i really truly enjoy this movie wow i it's crazy. You've now come up with several movies where I was looking it up as you were talking. It's Rotten Tomatoes. It's reviews that I just somehow went right past my radar and are very highly reviewed. And like I saw reviews like it's a hidden gem, one of the best sports movies of all time. So, again, I talk a big game. I'm all excited to watch. <laughs> and I didn't I didn't watch last time, but. This one, um, this one is an easy kind of please everybody type of movie. Is it's a PG thirteen, so it's not like super R rated, but it has adult themes. It's fast paced. It's a sports movie, wonderfully acted. It's it's truly like uh, a really good overlooked movie because like it's hard to make a good movie that's universally appealing that's uh, dealing with a fighting sport. I think yeah, I think yeah, it was true. just overlooked. Okay. Um, and last thing, Jerry, um, we rely on you for a baseball story. Um, let's change the mood from the dark times of the New York Mets. Give us something uh, to see us out. So this is uh, my story for today, the baseball story and the career of Jerry Blevins. This is my first introduction to the New York Mets. So in 2015 spring training, I get traded right before the season, um, right before the season starts from the Nationals to the Mets. And I pitched against the Mets like three times in a row. And I'm like, something's up. Why do I keep getting lined up to face these guys? And I figured it out when I got traded. I was like, oh, that makes sense. So the my literal first interaction with the Mets, um, that day that I got traded, the next day the Mets came to Vieira, Florida, which is where the Nationals were for spring training. And I literally took all my stuff from this side of the complex into the other side of the complex and waited for the visiting team to show up. And I'm making my intros. I know the guys from the year before, from the union, whatever. Um, so I'm facing like in my locker and then Pat Rustler, who was one of the best baseball minds, uh, just a, a really good man. He was the assistant hitting coach with Kevin Long at the time, comes up to me, puts his arm around me, says, Blev, welcome to the Mets. Uh, do you have a second? And I said, absolutely. And he goes, um, are you pretty receptive to input from outer everybody else? I was like, please. He goes, I'm a hitting coach. Are you okay with me talking to you about pitching? I go, some of my favorite 
you know, pieces of advice have come from hitting guys because they see it differently. And he goes, well, this will be pretty easy. You tip your pitches. <laughs> I go, what? Is that why you guys have been crushing me? He goes, yeah, that and we're really good. I go, <laughs> I go fair enough. And he literally told me in three seconds how I was showing my pitches with my glove. And then I was like, okay, that's great. He goes, take it however you will, but you're, we know every pitch that you're going to throw. So how do you adjust that? And so I went from him, I walked into the manager's office and looked for Dan Worthen, who was the pitching coach at the time. And I go, Dan, Jerry Blevins. He goes, yeah, pleasure. Welcome aboard. I was like, I tip my pitches. He goes, we all know. <laughs> and so they were like, all right, how go Dan, how do I fix it? He goes, it's a, it's usually a long process. He goes, but I have one simple fix. And it was literally, so I would be here and I would like fan my glove out a little bit, or I wouldn't come set. And he goes, we don't have to worry about that at all. All you have to do is come set at the waist. And so literally from that day forth, I put, I came set with my hands at my waist and I did, I didn't worry about tipping my pitches. And it was, it really changed my perspective on watching film, breaking things down. And, and some of the old school baseball minds, uh, Carlos Beltran's one of them, uh, Pat Russell's key is they're able to pick up those things and explain them to you and make you a better player like that. And I'll forever be grateful to the Mets and to Pat Russell and Dan Worthen for telling me quickly, ripping the Band-Aid off and making me better. So thank you, New York Mets. Thank you, Pat Russell. And thank you, Dan Worthen. I love that. So they beat up on you a couple of times, got your value down because they knew you were tipping and they were like, yeah, we'll take that guy and they knew how to <laughs> yeah. fix you. Uh, we'll, uh, yeah, that's, that's, it's wonderful. Wilmer Flores hit like two home runs off me in back-to-back days that I had faced him. And I was like, oh, it's cause I'm tipping my pitches. Oh, that's not it. Uh, Wilmer Flores owned me my entire life. I literally told him when I got, when I went to the giants in, uh, the 2020 spring training, uh, I was like, dude, I will never face you in spring training. And he's like, why? I go, what do you mean? Why? You know, you, you kill me in spring training. And he laughs. And I was like, literally, I kicked him out of our, my BP live BP group, because I'm like, I'm not letting you destroy my confidence this early yeah, in the season. Go. And he, he signed a two-year deal. He's like, so I don't need you to build my confidence up because I, I got it. So um, it kind of, we came full circle there. Just a, just a lovely baseball story where Wilmer Flores is my detriment. There you go. Um, remind everybody to subscribe to the Shaning Podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And a reminder that it's brought to you by Verizon, 5G built right for the Mets from the network. More people rely on only on Verizon. Jerry, always a pleasure to speak with you. I have some homework to do. I'll watch two movies in the next time we speak. Uh, and uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We will talk to you next week. <laughs>